Um, inside your uh, program, you'll find a little, uh, I think it's kind of purplish color. Uh, on Easter, we talked about it last week as we looked at one of our core values about going into our world. And uh, I asked you last week, so if you missed, you can catch up with us now. Um, there's two cards, there should be two cards in your, in your program there. Uh, if you could just jot down some names, seven names of some folks that you would like to pray for and invite to uh, Easter services, Easter service a few weeks away. And uh, so one card will go in the offering bag and the other card will, you'll keep and you'll pray. So I'll pray for uh, the names that you've, uh, you put down. Got a good stack last week and started praying for them. And we're going to just trust that God's going to open their hearts and uh, they're going to be open to an invitation to the Easter service, right? Isn't that exciting? All right. All right. So also pray for our youth. Um, about 25 of them are at camp. They are winter camp. So uh, they'll be coming home this evening. And so pray for them that they'll all be safe and rested and refreshed and ready to tear the house up for their moms and dads. All right. All right, so inside your program is an outline. Let's uh, pull it out, and today we're going to start a brand new series called Sunday. Sunday. So let me share with you uh, where we're at and why we're going here, all right? You ready? All right. Attendance in church in America is changing. If you've been here for a while, you know I talk about this from from time to time. Um, There is a, a big shift that's taking place in church attendance. And, um, you know, guys who study this, the, the culture and the trends of church life have come up with some reasons as to why they see uh, the church. Now, we're not talking about the unbelievers, but we're talking about the believers in Jesus Christ. The attendance is becoming less, uh, less frequent, and, and so here's some of the reasons why. Um, one, there's a higher focus on activities for children. And if we know uh, we're entering into baseball in this area, which uh, they play and practice on Sunday, and so it affects our attendance on Sunday. Uh, So that is definitely one. We travel more because we're more middle class. We have more opportunities to to travel and so forth. Um, uh, Another cause of of attendance dropping is blended families. So, you know, the kids that this week here and that week there kind of thing that's taking place. Um, online options. Some folks are electing to watch church online opposed to coming and participating uh, in real life. And and again, it's not bad to participate uh, online from time to time, but not as a regular thing. And as a church, we're wrestling with, do we want to stream online or not? Uh, I'm a little torn by that. Um, There's a massive culture shift uh, going away, as I mentioned last week, what's, what's called the nuns, not the Catholic nuns, but the nuns, meaning the millennials, um, they're not rejecting God. They're just not interested in, in, in God. And so there's a shift that's taking place that way. And then I think one of the biggest reasons why is because there's a failure, church attendance, there's a failure to understand the benefit of coming to worship. And really that's what I want to unpack over the next five weeks as we look at how attending worship corporately impacts our life and how it really changes lots of areas in our life. And we're going to talk about that today and over the next couple weeks, all right? So if you have your outlines, go ahead and pull it open. Here's the big idea for this series, and that is this, that Sunday is the best day of the week 
Thank you. It's the only day I work. So <clears throat> I work like 90 minutes between both services and I'm off all week. It's a great gig, right? I said this to someone a couple weeks ago on a Saturday. We were at a family function and I said to one of uh, my nieces who actually is a believer, I said, tomorrow is the best day of the week, meaning Sunday is the best day of the week. She looked at me like, huh? Are you crazy? And I said, it's the Lord's day. It's not an extra day. It's a special day. And she's like, oh yeah, that's right. right. And I think that from a mindset that oftentimes that's how we see it. We see Sunday as one day away from Monday, right? And you know what Monday is? Monday's like the worst day, and we got to go and fight through the week, right? And so we see it really as kind of an extra day, an extra day to catch up with the things that we didn't finish through the week, an extra day to catch up with some of the emails or whatever work-related issues that we didn't take care of the week. And so we see Sunday as an extra day, not a special day in our life, right? And so, so when we get to Sunday, it's like, oh boy, I'm not really so sure. So if you will, in your outline, Jesus said this, and we're going to look at this verse several times over the next few weeks. Jesus said in Mark chapter 2, verse 27. Now, Jesus um, was performing miracles on, on the Sabbath. The, the religious leaders were having complete heartburn about it. They were just totally frazzled by it because they felt like Jesus shouldn't do anything. They were eating. They were picking uh, grains as they walked through a grain field, uh, 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 a field um, to eat. And so they, they were having complete heartburns. And Jesus said this to them in Mark chapter 2, verse 27. Jesus said to them, the Sabbath was made for, what? Not man for the Sabbath. Okay? Now let me hit pause for a second and just say this to you. In the Old Testament, the Sabbath was Saturday. Okay? In the New Testament, Jesus was resurrected on Sunday, and that became the new Sabbath or the new day of worship. Well, we would call it the Lord's Day, all right? So I don't want to get in hung up into Saturday, Sunday. In the first century, the New Testament believers started worshiping Christ on Sunday, the Lord's Day, because of his resurrection, all right? But Jesus said this. He said that the Sabbath was made for man for your benefit, for, for, for you to have a rest, to have a refocus, to, to have... A, a time of refueling your life to really hit kind of the pause button. Actually, Sabbath means intermission. If you look at it from that standpoint, you go through life and you're working and you're doing all the family activities and all this other stuff, and then there's a Sabbath, there's an intermission. There's a pause button that's hit for you to kind of recalibrate your life, refocus your life, refuel your life, re-energize your life. It's a day, it's not an extra day to do work, it's a special day to, to, to refocus in what you're doing. And so Jesus says, he says, listen, it, it, Sabbath was made for man, N- not, not, for, not man for the Sabbath. In verse 28 he goes on and he says, so the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. In other words, the religious leaders had hijacked the Sabbath and made it where it was filled with reg- regulations and rules and all this other stuff, and they had completely missed what it was for. They missed that it. it was an intermission that God had created in us because all of us need a pause button to step back to refocus our life, 
to refuel our life, to bring some calibration into our wobbling life. And Jesus says, I want to restore that back into your life. So I'm the Lord of the Sabbath. I want to restore back to what God's initial plan was on the Sabbath, that it was really a time of an intermission. All right. So, so I want you to kind of get this and understand it, that, that God has created us with this rhythm in our life that we need a intermission from the work, from the stresses of life, where we can come and we can kind of refocus, refuel, recalibrate our lives to then to move forward and to attack the weak again fresh in our life. All right. But I think in our culture, we, we have grown to where we see Sunday as, a, as an extra day, not a special day. And so we try to, you know, catch up on all the email, the chores around the house. Now with kids, if you have the kids in sports because of the lack of, of parks and so forth, it's just another day to take the kids to Little League. It's another day to take them to here, to take them to there. And it, it, it's just an extra day. It's not a special day. And what that does is, is it messes us up to look forward to Monday. And we'll look at this next week. That, that, that it changes our mindset, and as we go into Sunday evening, it's like, oh, it's Monday, because we got the wrong perspective. Because Sunday wasn't a day of resetting our minds to where it needed to be. It was simply an extra day to do all the things that we needed to do, and we just race into Monday now, and we wake up Monday, and it's like, oh, I don't want to get back into that rat race. But God has created the Sunday to bring us back, to refocus us so that we're able to move forward Monday and fight another week of the craziness that we live in in our world. Does that make sense? Okay. So let's take a look. If you have your Bibles, uh, we're going to look at uh, Psalms chapter 122. All right. Psalms 122. And we're just going to work through and we're going to look to uh, look at why David liked to go to worship, all right? So the Psalms from 119 to 122 was songs, okay? So they were songs that they would sing on their way to worship. And so when you look at them, uh, they're songs, they're psalms, but they're songs that they would sing on their way to worship. And so let's just kind of unpack it and look at the, the mindset that David had as he goes into worship and, and, and begins to gather with the, with the believers. And so Psalms 122, and we're going to start in verse 1 and work through. So you ready, church? All right, here we go. He says, I, re, uh, he says, I rejoice with those who say to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. Now let's back up to let us go. In the Hebrew, a better translation would be this. We will go. Okay? So he says, I rejoice with those who say to me, we will go. Where are we going to go? We're going to go to worship together, right? And so there, there would be a, a journey that they would go on. Some of them would walk for, for literally days to get to church, uh, into, into worship. Others would be close in Jerusalem, and so it would be a quick walk. And so nonetheless, they gather, and so they have this mindset uh, that we're going to go and we're going to worship. Verse 2, our feet are standing on, uh, our feet are standing in the gates 
uh, O Jerusalem. Verse 3, O Jerusalem, or Jerusalem is built like a city that is closely compacted together. Now, when you read that, you kind of go, oh, so was it like San Francisco where you had row houses? Well, no, that's not what he's talking about. He, as he would go into Jerusalem, he would see the tribe of Benjamin and he would see the tribe of Judah. And that was the northern tribe and the southern tribe. And they would be close together. And, and, and as he would enter into Jerusalem, he would recognize the security and the unity because of the two tribes, the tribe in the north and the tribe in the south, that there was security there. Right. And, and again, just kind of pause on that. That, that David recognized that going into the house of the Lord, there was security and there was unity in a place of worship. All right. Now, now I, I say this, especially in our membership class. The enemy loves for believers. Now, we're talking believers. We're not talking unbelievers here. The enemy loves believers to stray from the body of Christ. Okay. Because there is safety and there is security in the body of Christ. Right? There is safety and there is security in the body of Christ. It's when we're in the body of Christ where if there's things going on in our life and we have relationships, we'll talk about this in a moment, there's relationships, we're able to say stuff, we're able to have people pray for us, we're able to gather together and there's a sense of security in that midst. When we get off by ourselves... And you're walking through life on your own, and you're lonely, or, 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 and you're alone. The enemy loves that. You, you're, you're like a gazelle, and he's a lion. And once he separates you from the pack, go ahead and light the candles because dinner's going to be served, right? And David recognized that. He recognized that as he was going in and he sees the tribes of Judah and Benjamin there, he sees the security gathering together in a place of worship. And it's so important for us to recognize, you know, when I say, hey, guys, when people are away for a while, I, I, you know, I, it concerns me. That's why if you miss for a couple weeks, uh, I think it's four weeks, you get an email saying, hey, where have you been? We, take tra- we keep track of attendance. The little cards that you fill out today will be will be inputted into the church data system tomorrow and I get a spreadsheet of who's here and who isn't because I'm concerned for people who stray away because not not because I I, I miss you and I, I want to see you all the time so much I do but but I'm concerned for your spiritual condition because I recognize that there is safety in the body there's security in the body and so David begins to understand that in his life. So now let's take a look as we go on through verses 4 and following. Why he likes to go to worship. Verse 4. He says that, uh, that, uh, there, uh, there, that there is the tribes, right? So there's all these tribes of people who are going to go to worship. The tribes of the Lord to praise the name uh, of the Lord according to the statutes given to Israel, all right? And so there, there are six reasons why he likes going to worship. We're going to go quick through them, so here we go. Number one is he wants to go to worship because he likes being with God's people, right? He likes being with God's people, and don't you love that? Hey, I'm almost convinced. 
So as he looks at the tribes of people, and it's just talking about that there's a, there's a huge number of them who are going to worship. And he looks forward to that. He looks forward to a time where he gathers with God's people and they're able to spend time together. They're able to fellowship together. They're able to worship together. They're able to chit-chat together. They, he, looks, he looks forward to that. Number two is he wanted to honor God. He wanted to honor God. And verse 4 goes on and he says, to praise the name, circle the word praise, to praise the name of the Lord, all right? <clears throat> the word praise there means to confess, it means to praise, it means to give thanks, it means to extend your arms, right? I'm kind of one of these guys, I'm not a full extend arms, I'm kind of one of these guys. And, and so it means to extend your arms, it means to throw, whether it be phys uh, physically throwing or, or kind of figuratively in your mind, or casting yourself to the Lord, all right? So in other words, it isn't, it isn't a sport that you watch, it's a sport that you participate in, okay? It's not something that you come and say, hey, what's going on on the stage, and let's watch the show, but it's the idea that you're going, and he's going to go, and he's going to go participate in it. Eugene Peterson says about church, he says, too often believers treat it as, as a sightseeing trip. They go, and if they have a moment or they have time, they drive by the bridge and they look at it. And they go, oh, that's the bridge. Isn't that neat? And he says, that is not how believers are to look at worship. It's not a sightseeing trip. It's to participate in it. And so he sees it as a time of honoring God. Number three is he wanted to do it because God asked him to. In verse 4, he goes on, he says, according to the statutes given to Israel. So God had given them a command. In the New Testament, uh, Paul says to the, to the New Testament church, hey, do not forsake the gathering of believers. Well, why? Because some of you are in the habit of doing that. And he says, don't do it. And it's a command. It's a command that we are to come not to see Sunday as an extra day, but to see it as a special day in our life where we have a, 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 a pause, an intermission of the craziness of life to recalibrate, to refocus, to refuel, to, to refresh our lives, to then be able to move forward in life. And so he recognizes that, and he says, hey, God's called us to do that. Verse 5 goes on, and he says, there are thrones for uh, there, uh, there the thrones for judgment stand, the thrones of the house of David. So as he looks now in verse 5, it's kind of an interesting thing. It's kind of, he jams it right in the middle. And he says, hey, as I look around, I see the drum set, I see the guitars, I see the keyboard, I see the podium, I see the chair, right? He just kind of looks and he observes. And then he goes into what he feels and what his heart's desire is as he begins to lay out his heart's desire in it, number, uh, number four in your outline is he wanted peace for those uh, who love God. You want peace for those who love God? You want misery for those who love God? All right, just checking. I don't know. Maybe you do. So he looks, he sees, he sees the, the thrones, the big seats and so forth. And then, and then five is he begins to share his heart as he wants peace for those who love God. And he says in verse 6, he says, pray for the peace of Jerusalem. And the word Jerusalem means foundation of peace, right? That's, that's what it means. And he says, may those um, who love you be secure. 
And so here he sees it as a time where he desires for them to be secure in their life, right? And we are to pray for the peace of Jerusalem. You ever hear that? You ever hear that? So here's here's what all politicians need to recognize, whether they're believers or not. And and every one of them will say, I'm going to work hard with the Palestinians and with the Jews, and we're going to bring peace. Let me just kind of tell you this. The Bible says there will never be peace there. Okay, so it doesn't matter who you elect. There's never going to be peace there until the Prince of Peace, Jesus Christ, reigns. Right. Then there will be peace. So when we pray for the peace of Jerusalem, we're actually praying for the kingdom of God to come. So so when you're praying for the peace of Jerusalem, you're actually praying that the Lord would return and restore his authority, that he would be the, the Prince of Peace that would rule. And so he says here that they're praying for the peace of Jerusalem, that all would be secure. Verse 7, may there be peace within the walls and security within your citadel. So he wants peace in the, in the lives of the folks and the families of the folks. He, he wants harmony. He wants security. He wants all the stuff that's, uh, that, the, in, a, in a peaceful way that's taking place. In verse 8, for the sake of my brothers and friends, I will pray peace be within you. And so his desire is to see peace in the family of God individually, but also corporately as well, that there would be peace. Well, why is that? Number five, he wanted peace because God's people were his family and friends. They were his family and friends. And so he he would see them as family members. Many of them would be but also close friends. And isn't it true in your life when you have friends that are going through problems in life, it, 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 it affects you. When they're close to your friends and they're going through hardships and, and difficulties in life, it affects you. And so he, as he goes, he goes, hey, I want to go and I want everyone to experience the peace, my family, but also my friends in my life. I want them to experience peace. Verse 9. For the sake of the house of the Lord our God, I will seek your prosperity. All right? And so let's kind of unpack that and begin to see, again, the importance of the Sabbath, a day of worship, a day of intermission, a day to reset and to refocus. The, the word prosperity there doesn't mean material prosperity. It means spiritual. Okay? Now, what David recognized is that when the people of God were in harmony with God, that it impacted their whole life, all right? That their spiritual life was the center of their life and that everything emanates out of their spiritual life and that when there was prosperity in their life spiritually, then it meant that their relationships with their spouse would be right, their, their relationship with their children would be right. Their financial life would be in harmony. And there would be balance in their life. Not perfect, but there would be balance in there. But that if, he, if there wasn't spiritual prosperity or enrichment in their life, then it would cause everything to kind of wa- wa- you know, wobble around down the road. It's kind of like a car out of alignment, right? At a certain speed, everything starts shaking. I mean, you guys have four-wheel drives, you know that. As soon as you put it in four-wheel drive, it screws up your alignment. 
But as long as you go 55 or 75, it's all good. But if you go 65, the whole car shakes like crazy, right? And, and so here he understands that, that when you have spiritual prosperity, that it affects your whole life. And as a result, you're able to be refreshed, refocused, and refueled, and there brings balance into your life. And I talk about that oftentimes when we look at New Testament teachings where I say when Jesus is the center of your life, everything emanates out of there. I happen to believe that the vast majority of our problems are spiritual in nature because we're out of balance spiritually, so therefore it affects every other area of our life. When we have balance spiritually in our life, we begin to understand and we begin to see as he sees. And so David looks at the, at the house of God in the Old Testament, the believers, and he says, hey, when, when they, I want them to be spiritually enriched. I want them to experience prosperity in their life. Now pause. The danger of looking at Sunday, Sabbath, a day of worship, is just another day, just an extra day, a bonus day and not a special day to reset, is you begin to get out of balance in your life. And from a pastor's standpoint, I've watched this through the years where you see somebody come, their marriage has fallen apart, their financial life fallen apart. They begin to come, they begin to worship, they're faithful for a year, two years, 18 months. They get into a community group. Everything starts to kind of work itself out. Things begin to fall into place. It's not perfect, but it's getting better. There's improvements and so forth. And then all of a sudden, it gets to a point where it's acceptable, and they bail. Run into them somewhere like, hey, we missed you. Oh, well, you know, we got this and we got that. We're busy, blah, blah, blah. And oftentimes, early in my ministry, I didn't. Now I actually say, you don't recognize what got you to being stable in your life is Christ. Making a Sabbath, making a day of worship a priority, now you're going to push it off and you're going to treat Sunday as just another day, not a special day. And you're going to see your life is going to begin to wobble again. And oftentimes, not because I'm prophetic, but just because I think the word of God is true, that oftentimes you'll see that. And then six, eight months later, come back in. Hey, can we have counseling? Well, what's going on? Well, you know, and they go, it's like you, you missed it. God brought some, some trueness in your life, and you just pushed it aside because all of a sudden you started looking at Sunday as just another day. It's an extra day to catch up, and it's not a special day. So let me share with you. There's a study done by Thomas um, D. Williams, and uh, it's with the uh, August Institute of Study for Family Culture. <clears throat> and here's what he says. They, they did a, a double-blind study with believers who attend church and folks who don't attend church, whether they're believers or not. And here, here's what they found. The study found that people who attend religious services on a weekly basis, okay, a weekly basis, are nearly twice as likely to describe themselves as very happy, 45%. Then people who never attend, 28%. Conversely, those who never worship are twice as likely to say that they are very unhappy versus those who attend service 
regularly. So then they pushed back a little bit on the study. And they said, well, the reason why those who came to church regularly and they were very happy was because they were part of the community, right? They had interactions with people. So they went in a little deeper into the study. And what they did is they found people who were in worship services faithfully versus those who were part of civic groups, you know, out doing civic activities and so forth, non-spiritual, if you will. And, here, and here's what they found. They found that the ones who attended worship were, again, twice as likely to be very happy versus those who are involved in civic activities. Not that they're bad, they're just civic activities. And so the, the, the conclusion they came back to is that the community part is important, but there was something that was unseen, that was you couldn't taste, you couldn't see, you couldn't smell, that factored into it. And so the conclusion is that it was a spiritual thing that was taking place as they gathered together. And, and, and so it, it's interesting when they start looking at it. And of course, we know the scripture would teach us that, that that's important for us to understand that part of our life of being to having the spiritual enrichment part, as, as David would say, right, that it would be spiritual prosperity, that it, it, it directly affects our mindset and how we look at life and how we function in life. But as believers, we're pulling away from that and we're treating Sunday as just another day. And it's no longer the Lord's Day. There, wasn't, there was a time not too long in the future, and some of you were probably alive, when nothing was open on Sunday. You didn't even go to the store. It wasn't even an option, right? Because Sunday was the Lord's Day, and it was a day that was committed to Him, right? And, and you know, as we've gone into a kind of a global economy, we're going to look at this next week, uh, and 24 hours, seven day a week global econ economy, Sunday is just one more day of the week. It's no longer a special day. It's just another day of the week. And so in your outline, why is it important to have a Sabbath or a worship day, all right? And so let me just kind of go back. We're going to lay a little bit of the foundation for next week. I'm going to give you seven reasons why you need to invest in the Lord's uh, day. And then I want to say this. Don't miss next, next Sunday. We're going to look at the fourth commandment in a whole different new way. And I think it'll be very cool. So here, Genesis chapter 2, <clears throat> verse 2, at the very beginning of creation, God had created everything. And on the seventh day, God had finished all that he had done. And so on the seventh day, what did he do? Rested from all his work. Do you think he rested because he was tired? No, he rested because he wanted to model for us that we need to have an intermission. We need to have a pause in our life where we see it as something other than just another day to do more work. And so God modeled it, and this is before the fall. He modeled it in our, uh, for us to recognize that humans, the way he made us, he made us to work six days and to have a day of worship or a Sabbath, an intermission from the stress to, to refocus to rebalance, to refresh our life, to get back in our mindset in which we need, okay? And then if you look at Exodus chapter 20, which is uh, the Ten Commandments, we're going to look at this next week. 
And just real quick, it says, remember the Sabbath and keep it what? Holy, right? And he goes on and he says, six days you shall work and we'll, we'll unpack that next week. So real quick, let me give you seven reasons to invest in a Sabbath or a day of worship. Number one in your outline is we need a day of worship slash Sabbath. And there's Genesis 22, Mark chapter 2, where Jesus says, right? We desperately need it. God has made us to have it, right? When we don't, we're neglecting the way God has wired us. It's the same thing with exercise, right? They'll, they'll tell you, you know, you work out and then you rest your body. Then you work out and you rest your body. You don't just keep work, 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 because it do, your body doesn't adjust to it. Our bodies are designed where we need an, an intermission in our life from the craziness that are taking place. Number two, in your outline, because God asked us to, in Exodus 20, verse 8, we'll look at this next week, we're to remember the Sabbath, we're to keep it holy. Number three, <clears throat> because God blessed the Sabbath, and then again, Genesis 2, verse uh, 3, God blessed, this, uh, blessed the seventh day and made it holy, and he rested on that day, and it's a day that we definitely need to. We don't want to look at it as an extra day or a bonus day. We want to look at it as a special day. It is the Lord's day. Number four, my life goes better when I have a Sabbath or I have a day of worship. Now, let me give you some statistics here. You ready? <clears throat> Again, back to a study that's done with folks who attend regularly. All right, and regularly is three times a month. Here it is. You'll live seven and a half years longer than those who don't. And the study said, <clears throat> oftentimes the people who don't attend worship say they don't have time. And he kind of made a little joke, and he said, maybe if they went to church, they would have seven and a half years longer to enjoy life. All right. Just a side note. You got a statistician that has a little sense of humor that's kind of funny right they're not normally like that they're like scientists it's like facts and figures 56 percent are more likely to have uh, an optimistic view in life we talked about that 27 percent are less likely to be depressed 35 percent are less likely to get divorced um, there's a higher average uh, uh, level of commitment to their partner, a higher level of marital satisfaction, and less, uh, less thinking or talking about divorce. And of course, you know if you've sat through my classes on marriage, the D word is no longer exists in our vocabulary. We do not use it because it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy. Um, there, there is a lower, lower level of negative uh, interaction. Uh, Kids, pay attention. You achieve higher grades. Moms and dads, you better get them in church. Uh, practice better time management. They experience, uh, you experience, they, you experience better sex life. And yeah, in church you can say life, so that's good. <clears throat> Next week attendance will begin to increase, right? I love you guys. You guys got a good sense of humor, right? God's serious, us not so much, all right? <clears throat> Number five in your outline. Our Mondays go better when we have a day of worship 
and a day, uh, a Sabbath. And we're going to unpack this next week. Here's what's interesting. <clears throat> when Moses gave the Ten Commandments to the children of Israel, he did it twice. And both times he did it different. He used a verb different in each one. And we'll look at that. And it's interesting because it changes the whole way of how you approach a day of worship and how you leave a day of worship. And the idea is those two verbs change your mindset of how you look at Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and following. And when we understand that worship isn't about just coming and singing a song and then splitting, but it, the whole idea is to change how you begin to look at life and your perspective. And so as he gives them the Ten Commandments, the fourth commandment, which is you ought to have a Sabbath, he changes the verb, and it just completely changes. We'll unpack that next week. It's, it's very cool, which makes our Monday uh, better. Uh, number, uh, number six is our families uh, do better when we have a Sabbath or a day of worship. And again, you know, the, the importance of building a foundation in our kids' lives, are, it's so important. And again, Pastor Dan's heart, I see, and I was involved in sports. I love sports. It's all good. But you're building a foundation in your kids' lives that as they get older, they may go sow their, old, their oats. They may go wander off the reservation. They may go and do their own thing. But when you build a foundation in their life, there's a foundation for God to use to bring them back. Right? And I say this, you know, as my kids have gotten older, I don't have control of what they do. But I do know one thing, that we built a foundation in their life. And that if, if they are to wander off the reservation, that there's a foundation in their life for God to use to come back. And let me just say this. Hitting a curveball is important, but it's not life-changing. Right? And again, in our culture, sports have become so important for younger families. And it becomes, it takes the a place of Sunday, a special day. It becomes just another day to take our kids to the park and to you know, hit the curveball, kick a ball, whatever it is. But, but let me just share with you, and I've had these conversations, I've been here for a long time, that when I run into families that have drifted and now their kids are in their 20s and they're sharing about where they're at and the choices that they're making, it breaks my heart because I remember specifically in many of the cases conversations that I had with those parents saying, listen, I know it's cool, I know your kid is gifted, I know he's probably going to become the next Hank Aaron. Probably not. Right? But listen, it's important that you build a spiritual foundation in your kid's life. And now that they're in their 20s and they're, they're in places where they don't need to be, there isn't that foundation. And to meet with parents as they cry, you, you can't hit redo. You can't hit redo. And so parents, listen, it's important your families go better when you invest in the spiritual part of your kids' lives. They may wander off. You're not going to have control of that. 
but at least you know and you can look yourself in the mirror and you can know, hey, I built a spiritual foundation in their life. Lord, use that to bring them back. Right? Does that make sense? And so don't look at Sunday as an extra day. Look at it as a special day to build that to make your families better. Number seven in your outline is our eternity goes better when we have a a day of worship or a a Sabbath, and we'll talk about that uh, in the weeks to come, all right? So how do we make Sunday the best day of the week? Let me give you some practical steps, all right? Here we go. Number one in your outline is decide to let Sunday be the best day of the week, right? David said, we will go. I rejoice with those people who say, we will go. There has to be a decision that you make in your life. That, that you don't decide to, you know, you don't just walk up, wake up one day and say, hey, let's go on a vacation to Paris. You've made a decision. You've planned. You've laid it out. You've, you've, you've studied. You've figured out what you need to do. Well, Sunday, since it's not just any day, it's a special day, you need to take that and make that a part of your life. And Saturday night, as you go into Sunday, prepare for it. Plan for it. Be prepared. Don't wake up Sunday morning and go, well, do I want to go or not? Oh, I'm not really so sure. Because let me tell you, the enemy loves for you not to be here. I'm I'm being honest with you. And listen, any excuse is a good excuse when you're looking for an excuse. Right? And if I had a choice of staying home, I probably would too. But my wife says, honey, you're the pastor. Get out of bed. No, no. I'm just kidding. (laughs) Some of you are thinking, you ought to stay home. All right. (laughs) Just mail it in, Pastor Dan. So covers up to here in my PJ. Morning, church. (laughs) All right, here we go. Number, Number two in your outline is invest in your Sundays, right? Invest in it. Jesus said, we looked at this a couple, a couple weeks ago in, in Matthew there. He says, hey, where, where, your, where your treasure is, your heart is also. You know, Sunday isn't an extra day. It's a special day, right? So invest in that. Make it that special day. And then <clears throat> number uh, three in your outline is to take the next step. And I want you to jot down a couple things, and you're going to see kind of why we do what we do here. This is a study that is done by a sociologist, a guy by the name of Wynne Arn. He studies the culture of churches and, and the patterns and so forth of them. And so here's what he's done. Studies, this study's been around for, for a while. Of satisfied believers, satisfied church folks, whether they're members or just regular attenders. And here's what they've come, he's come to the conclusion. That there are six characteristics of a person who is a satisfied member slash attender in church. And here's what he says. Number one, they attend regularly. Okay, now I want you to write on the side, connect. Okay, just write connect. Got that? Number two is they have a place of service somewhere in the church. Circle the word serve. Are we seeing something here? This looks like our core values, doesn't it? Ah. Number three, they've developed six friends with other members of that church. Right on the side, community group. Number four, they call it, quote, 
my church, there's ownership. Number five, they give consistently to the church. Circle the word give. Number six, they invite others to, quote, my church, write the word go. Our five core values, right? Connect with God, connect with others. Grow spiritually, head, heart, hands. Serve in the body of Christ. Give generously of your resources and go into the world and share your faith. So when I talk about our core values, it, that is a well-rounded believer who's satisfied in their spiritual life, right? And some of you might need to take that next step in one of those areas. Maybe you're dialing in some, you got, you're doing real well in some, but in others you're not. And you need to pray and you need to look at what are the areas that I need to step up in my life, right? If you're going to look at, if you're going to look at Sunday as a special day where you say, hey, we're going to go to church and it's going to be a time of worship. It's not going to be a sightseeing trip, but it's going to be participating in the body of Christ. Some of you may need to step up in some of those areas and you may need to get involved if it be a community group, serving, giving, whatever the case may be. We need to pray through that. So as we start the, just kind of the introduction of the series, I, I, want, I want you just to, to, to go away with this one thought. Sunday isn't an extra day. It's a special day. And next week as we look at Moses giving the children of Israel the fourth commandment, and just as a side note, before murder, right? So w if I was giving the commandments, I would probably have murder toward the top, like, hey, don't go killing anybody. He says, don't work. Have a Sabbath. Before murder. Before cheating on your spouse. It's pretty crazy. Why is that? Why did God move it to the fourth and not the tenth? Let's be honest. Why did God even include it in there? Because it takes us and it shapes our focus and our heart where we begin to serve. Right? Where we begin to serve more. Let's pray.